It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 328 for February 3rd, 2013. This week, your email account is in danger. Thumbs Plus shows that being all thumbs really isn't so bad. In short circuits, Google gets involved in the battle between privacy and security. YouTube may soon see some paid content. And Apple trademarks its stores. This is important. The thieves who use other people's email accounts to send spam seem to be making a concerted effort to use your email account and mine and everybody else's. This week I received a message from someone who frequently sends documents by using one of those file transfer services. The service sends an email with a link to the document. At first glance, it was clear to me that the message was a fraud. First, it wasn't from the service he uses. Second, despite the fact that the message had clearly come from his Gmail account, it wasn't written the way he writes. And third, when I hovered the mouse cursor over the link, I noticed that it pointed to a location several levels below a WordPress administrator directory on a domain I'd never heard of. Apparently, the owner of the site is a soccer player who knows nothing about website security. Hopefully, he's a better soccer player. Oh, there was a fourth clue, but I didn't notice that until later. I had received five copies of the email, one to each account that were in the victim's list of contacts. When you visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, be sure to click the message to see its full size. I've obscured the sender's name, his email address, phone numbers, handles on services such as Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Skype. They're all legitimate because his message came to me from his Gmail account and therefore used his standard signature. The implications of this are clear. Not everyone is as suspicious of unexpected attachments as I am. It's particularly serious because this person actually does send information to people using this technique, and some of the recipients might be expecting a document from him. So what happens if you click? Well, I certainly wasn't going to click the link to find out, but I do know how to view the code on a website without allowing it to do any harm to the computer. I've described that process before. It involves using Microsoft's PowerShell command line utility, and it loads the index page of the site into a variable, which then lets me examine the contents of the variable. I use that method to follow the link. Fortunately, the cyber crooks weren't trying to install any malware. Unfortunately, they had established a way to steal the victim's username and password. After displaying a real estate company's logo, Remax, the rogue website asks for the victim's email address and password. The process even uses some sophisticated error checking designed to make sure that the email address is valid. If you enter this information, the crooks will have immediate access to your email account and they'll be able to use it to send anything they want to everyone on your contact list. But that's not all they can do. More on that later. This whole thing caused me to think about my own Gmail security. Gmail isn't my primary email client, but I do forward all of my email from techbiter.com and blind.com for backup and for long-term reference. Additionally, I sometimes use Gmail to send and receive messages when I'm using a computer that I don't own. The password that I created for Gmail is 
moderately secure, two capital letters, seven lowercase letters, and one number. But is that good enough? And what if I fall prey to an attack such as this one, in which I willingly, if accidentally, give my username and password to the bad guys? It's easier than you might expect. You'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website another highly convincing fraud. In the image you'll see I've hovered my mouse over the clickable link, which claims to come from DocuSign, but take a look at where the link actually goes. This kind of attack clearly illustrates why it's essential to use a different username and password for each important account you have. And by important, I mean those that would cause problems for you if somebody else had the credentials. By definition, that would be any financial account. And although the safest option involves having unique credentials for every account, even most security experts are willing to give users a pass when it comes to having the same credentials for trivial accounts, such as newspaper logins. When crooks obtain usernames and passwords, one of the first things they do is to try to use them at bank websites. So if you give away your Gmail credentials and you use those same credentials at the Grand Mammoth Bank, you're in trouble. Google has an answer to all this. It's called two-step verification, and it adds an extra layer of security to Gmail and to all other Google services that you use. When you log on with your username and password from a computer that Google has not seen before, Google will send a verification code to your cell phone, to your wired phone, or to Google's own mobile app on your smartphone. That doesn't require cell phone service, just requires a Wi-Fi connection. When you receive the code, it'll be a six-digit number, and you enter it, then you'll be logged on. If the computer is one you trust, a home PC or your own notebook, for example, then you can tell Google to trust the computer and never ask for another verification code. But if you log on from a public computer, you won't want to designate it as trusted. Using this technique, if a crook has your username and password, he or she won't have a way to obtain the verification code, unless the crook has also stolen your cell phone. So what happens if somebody steals a trusted computer? Well, that's easy. Use any other computer to log on and tell Google to stop trusting that computer. Considering the process of setting this up takes only a few minutes, and setting up each computer to trusted status consumes less than one minute per computer, it seems like a pretty good trade-off between security and ease of use. The process really is simple. First, you'll want to confirm with Google that the phone number you have provided is one that you do have access to and that it is the one you want to receive authentication codes on. You need to decide whether you want Google to send the code using SMS text messaging, voice, or Google's mobile app. Have Google send a verification code, and you'll receive that about two seconds after you issue the request, maybe faster. Enter the code and click Verify. This step confirms to Google that you do have access to the phone number and that you are the owner of the phone that you claim to own. If you're using your own computer, you'll want to indicate that it's trusted so that you won't have to provide a new verification code every time you log on. If the computer isn't one that you own, or one that you own but maybe it's in a semi-public location, leave the trusted checkbox unchecked and you'll be asked to enter a new code every time you use that computer. And, well, that's it. You'll need to validate each new computer you log on from, but this is a one-time process for trusted computers, and the extra step takes just seconds when you log on from a computer you haven't trusted. You'll see an example on the TechBiter Worldwide website of what you'll see on your smartphone, or on your not-so-smartphone, 
you'll notice that mine is not a smartphone. You may also note that the phone I have is about a dozen years out of date. It's actually the phone that I selected a year or two ago to replace my 10-year-old cell phone. As much as I would like to have access immediately to the Internet from everywhere, I found that I prefer to have access to about $50 a month more than I would otherwise have if I had to pay for a smartphone and the attendant data service required by the phone. So, to misquote Freud, sometimes a phone is just a phone. Be sure to check the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see some other screenshots, some examples of what happens along the way and how this whole process works. If you haven't yet set up two-step authentication on your Google mail service, it'd be a good idea to do that. Thumbs Plus is a small application that plays a big part in TechBiter Worldwide every week. Nearly every image you see on the TechBiter Worldwide website has been touched by Thumbs Plus because it makes the process of creating two copies of each file, the small images embedded in each report, and the larger image that appears when you click the smaller one, easy. The new version has some enhanced capabilities. Serious software, unlike a firm such as Adobe that has hundreds of developers who work in teams, seems to have just one developer. That makes it easy to maintain a constant vision, but it also makes the development process really slow. Both the current version, 9, and the previous version were in development for an extraordinarily long time, and version 8 was probably released before it should have been because the operation was always just a little quirky. Version 9 takes care of that, and it adds some useful features. At its center, Thumbs Plus is designed to manage a graphics library. You can have it scan individual directories or your entire disk drive or multiple disk drives to create a thumbnail view for every image it finds. Directories that contain images are highlighted so you'll know exactly which directories contain images. The feature I use the most is the ability to define a series of steps that will be performed on any number of selected images. The largest images I use on the TechBiter Worldwide site are 1,000 pixels wide, and the thumbnails that are included in articles are 300 pixels. In most cases, the original image is larger than 1,000 pixels, so each image must be processed twice, once for each size. Repetitive tasks such as this really wear on me. So I'm happy that Thumbs Plus offers a quick and easy solution. The two images always have similar names. For example, picture.jpg for the larger image and picture underscore sm.jpg for the smaller image. The automatic process uses the original PNG image's file name, converts the new images to JPEG, resizes them as needed, applies the underscore SM to the smaller image, and then stores the images in a staging directory where I can review them before moving them to the website development directory. An opportunity exists with each step for a human to make an error. Thumbs Plus does the same thing every time. The process wouldn't be at all tedious for a single image, but some of the weekly programs contain 20 or 30 images. Selecting all of them and running the processes, whether for three images or 30, takes just a few seconds. Thumbs Plus can acquire images directly from a camera or from a scanner, although not my scanner, which predates even Vista and has no drivers for Windows 7 or Windows 8. 
Thumbs Plus can edit images, convert them to other formats, create galleries, create thumbnails, and password protect images. You can create slideshows or select an image and set it as your desktop wallpaper. If you need a web page to display a catalog of your images, Thumbs Plus can do that too. A new feature allows Thumbs Plus to log into your Facebook account so that you can browse and update photo albums. Much of the application's functionality is controlled by Python, not the snake, a programming language that Sirius has exposed for users to modify. Facebook Access, for example, uses Python, and the developer plans to convert more of the program's features to Python. Users can create their own actions using Python, and the result could be a growing library of user-written functions. Thumbs Plus is not Photoshop. But it does include some basic editing tools, such as red-eye removal and the ability to rotate, flip, resize images, or convert them to black and white or sepia. Bottom line is 4Cats, a good, solid program. Thumbs Plus is a really handy way to manage lots of images. If you're looking for basic photo organization and the ability to create web pages and sample sheets out of your images... Thumbs Plus is a good choice. You won't have the extensive set of features provided by Photoshop, but the learning process will be a lot easier and faster, too. Thumbs Plus is the right tool for a lot of tasks. And if you'd like more information, you can visit the Thumbs Plus website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, the battle between privacy and security continues, and Google has entered the fray. As the first step in what will be a push by Google to make it harder for law enforcement agencies to obtain from Google information about the users of the company's applications, Google has released a high-profile transparency report that explains the circumstances that must exist when Google gives investigators your information. The report by Google says there's been a steady increase in government requests for users' information. Google says that it has reported on these requests since 2010 and that the goal is to make the report more informative. For the first time, Google has included a breakdown of the kinds of legal processes that government entities in the U.S. use when compelling communications and technology companies to hand over user data. From July through December of 2012, Google says 68% of information requests were in the form of subpoenas that were issued under the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, or ECPA. Subpoenas are relatively easy to obtain because in most cases, no judge needs to be involved. Another 22% used ECPA search warrants that are typically issued by judges based on a demonstration of probable cause to believe that certain information related to a crime is presently in the place to be searched. And the final 10% were court orders issued under ECPA by judges or other processes that Google said are difficult to categorize. Requests for data have increased by more than 70% since 2009. In total, Google received 21,389 requests for information about 33,634 users during the period. Now, Google has announced that it will lobby federal legislators to make it harder for law enforcement authorities to gain access to emails and other digital messages. According to Google's chief legal officer, David Drummond, this would require modification of the 1986 U.S. Electronic Communications Privacy Act. 
You know, the Internet has changed a lot since 1986. Yet the existing law doesn't require government investigators to have a search warrant when requesting access to old emails and messages if they've been stored online. A search warrant is required for letters that you have stored in a box, maybe something stuffed under your bed, or in a file drawer, or even for email messages that you've saved on your computer's hard drive. In 2012, Senator Patrick Leahy, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, introduced a bill that would have updated the current law, but law enforcement agencies and the FBI expressed concerns that any new restrictions would slow crime investigations and might even endanger victims. The legislation went nowhere. Leahy says the current law hasn't kept up with technology, and updating privacy laws is one of his top priorities for 2013. AdAge magazine is reporting that YouTube has plans to offer paid subscriptions for some of its content. The change is expected to occur sometime this year, probably more earlier than later, but no date has been set. YouTube is owned by Google. According to the magazine account, YouTube has asked several video producers to submit applications for paid channels. AdAge says the information was provided by sources who did not want to be named. AdAge suggested that individual channels could be offered before mid-year and could have prices ranging from $1 to $5 per month. YouTube currently does include some high-quality video in addition to those thousands of amateur videos of cats being cute or stupid people being injured after trying a stunt that's often preceded by the words, Hey, watch this! The high-quality videos are supported by advertising, so the paid channels would be a new business model for YouTube. This isn't the first time that YouTube and paid video have been used in the same sentence, but it is the first time that the idea seems to have enough traction to move forward. Apple has been granted a trademark on the design of its stores. So now anybody who wants to open a store that has a clear glass storefront surrounded by a paneled facade, particularly if the interior includes an oblong table with stools in front of video screens that have been flush mounted on the back wall, eh, those folks are going to have to get clearance for Apple. Asking the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for help is apparently Apple's response to a phony but authentic-looking Apple store in Kunming, China. When that store opened, the customers thought they were buying Apple products, and even the employees thought they were working for Apple. Since then, Chinese authorities have forced the store to close, and with it more than a dozen more that were selling Apple products, but without Apple's permission. In 2003, Apple received a patent on the glass staircases that are present in many Apple stores. You know, when I visited one of the Apple stores in New York City, I thought the glass stairs were simply a nod at the glass walkways that connect opposite sides of Grand Central Terminal. Well, anyway, Jobs was listed as the inventor of the glass staircase, even though the glass walkway predated him by decades. U.S. trademark rights don't extend outside the country, so Apple couldn't use approval by U.S. authorities to fight a competitor in China. Apple has about 250 retail stores around the United States. It operates stores in about a dozen other countries. 
Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.